But this is one of the benefits of what you were talking about the other night in a Zoom call of just hanging around with Jesus and uh, talking to God the Father. You know, he used to split hairs. You're praying to Jesus, you're praying to God. There's no difference. That's right. You're praying to Jesus, you're praying to Father, you're talking to Holy Spirit. There's no difference. That's doesn't, right. Doesn't matter. <laughs> One, one's the same as the other in terms of communication. Yeah. But uh, the benefit of all the benefits that we describe when we're trying to describe eternal life are not eternal life. They're the benefits of eternal life. Eternal life is actually uh, the fulfillment of God's dream for himself to spend his life with you. Yeah. It's a heart kept from offense. Yeah. It's, what it's, it's is. insulated is a term you used to use. And I, I woke up at uh, about 3.30 Thursday night because I had I had two cups of coffee that day, and I think that's what woke me up. And I watched the Zoom from 3.30 to 4.30 in the morning. Mm. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Which Zoom really was it? Huh? Which one was it? The one we just had. Y'all just had oh. Wednesday. Uh, yeah, it was good. See, that's the beauty of what the fruit of the Spirit does in our life. It, it, it causes you to reign in life. You're standing in that life, and you're reigning. You literally that fruit will stand up and take dominion you, in so much of dominion theology. you got to go take your dominion. God never even told Adam to take dominion. He said, have it. And that fruit will stand up and you'll have dominion. This world system just has no voice to you. And it I would express it differently, although I'm not agreeing with your point, disagreeing with your point. I would say it's the spirit that has stood up and taken dominion and, a, and the fruit of the spirit standing up is the, the, it's the fruit. of of that dimension. So it's kind of a cart and horse thing in my mind. It kind of goes to the discussion the other night on Zoom where people were trying to describe eternal life and they were actually describing the fruit of it, yeah. not eternal life itself. Because if you say life as a person, you wouldn't be describing Jesus by all the good deeds he did. You'd be talking about the person. Right. And the fruit of Jesus, you would say, look at all, these, all the good life that comes from him. And it goes to something I posted on Facebook just past week about, you know, we get we get caught up studying the fruit of the spirit and everything. And that's a, and, and it's, it, it's just a natural thing because that's our heart's desire. Just like the, the shadow of the, in the Old Testament of a barren woman, her heart's desire is to have fruit. And, and so, you know, our focus will tend to be there, but we can't lose sight of what it is that produces the fruit. Yeah. Which is the intimacy. I guess I'm struggling. It sounds like you all said the same thing to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being, uh, I've always been, uh, I'll get this wrong, I've always attempted to be as precise as possible in expressing what I'm trying to express. Oh, yeah. And that's why I prefaced, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I heard what you said were in your own words and your own experience. And what he said was peppered with the words in the Bible, right? That mean the same thing that what you're saying, but he used the biblical terms, whereas you spoke just from the heart of your experience, right? The spirit will stand up in you, right? And you will have dominion. That's what I was saying. And Matt said the fruit will stand up. Yeah, but who produces the fruit? Right. Right. The spirit. Right. Yeah. The peace will stand up in you. If the peace stands up in you, that's not you standing up the peace. Right. It's the peace stands up in you. The right. joy stands up in right. you. And it kept your heart. Which is why it takes no effort. Which is why it takes no effort. Right. But you'd be shocked how many people think sitting at the feet of Jesus is too much effort. Yeah. Right? There, there's a, a, a lackadaisical malaise over over people where 
Matt posts about this all the time. In order for there to be a child born, there has to be relations between the man and the woman. Well, if the man and the woman aren't interacting with each other or having relations, then there's not going to be any child that comes forth, right? And so in order for the fruit of the Spirit to come forth, we have to be intimate with the Spirit. And that doesn't just mean that I say, well, the Spirit's inside of me, glory to God. And I go about my day filling my mind with the Spirit that's in the world. And because the Spirit is in me, that's enough. No, no, no. The, The Spirit is filled with the truth. It's like I preached this a long time ago. With the real Holy Spirit, please stand up. Because we're, we were never really engaging with the, the spirit of truth, right? In order for the fruit of the spirit to come forth in us, we need to be hearing the truth, the spirit of truth. Or we need to be singing, or we need to be talking to one another, or we need to be daydreaming about it, or we need to be talking with the Father about life. Whatever different way you like it, there's an interaction, there's an intimacy that occurs. And then out of that, <coughs> the Father, the Spirit, the Son bring forth fruit in us, right? The seed of their life. There is peace and love and joy in their life, in the seed of their life. And the way that comes forth in us is when we interact with them, right? In whichever way it could be. It could be painting on the wall. It could be building a fence. It could be at the candy bank. And you could be thinking about how glorious this all is. And all of a sudden, you can start thinking about the glory of the Father. Any any type of way. So it's not just I have to be in some church service to do it. But it just so happens because we're... That's what we focus. We're on. creatures of habit. If we're not really in a gathering where we're doing that, we tend to focus on everything else under the sun. And as humans, you're always interacting with something. Yeah. You're always twisting on something. So if you're not interacting with the spirit, you're interacting with something in the world, or some you're twisting on something in the world. Yeah. So it's like there's not there's not gonna be a moment where you're not where you're not interacting with anything at all. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I mean, there's even like this section of, of people that say that it's a work to sit at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. I just have to be honest. If you read all the New Testament letters, the overwhelming correction and exhortation in every single letter was to continue to hear the truth. That was the overwhelming exhortation in every single letter. Every single letter where you saw that people had uh, gone back to walking after the flesh is because they weren't continuing to hear the truth. They weren't continuing to fellowship around the truth. The next thing you know, they're walking after the flesh again. Are you talking about people that are saved? Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it, it's a joyful thing to come together and talk about the truth. It's a joyful thing for me to sit and hear you describe how God welled up inside of you. Right? I just talked about communion. And one of the things I, I connected it with was the football players. When they have home games, they get together and they talk about, we must protect this house. Well, I mean, you're the house of the living God. And the serpent came to defile you with the accusation and with the, the poison of asps. He was trying to steal from you, right, your inheritance. I don't mean eternally. I mean the peace, the love, and the joy. And what happened was Father, Son, and Spirit that are one with you, they stood up and said, we must protect this house. And what they did was they came to the aid of your heart. They're your advocate. They're your friend. And they stood up inside of you and began to witness of something. Right. And that witness that they were witnessing of inside of you, it protected your heart and it filled you with an overwhelming peace. Right. And now in this situation, you're living as a peacemaker, even though you're like the one that come to be nailed to a tree. (laughs) Right. You're being tempted to take up the sword, to pick up the sword that's in the world. Well, to your point about uh, engaging with God. 
my words and yours. This week was the first week, and I would say seven or eight years that I actually started enjoying reading the Bible. Mm. And I am intentionally not trying to study it or look up words or look up the chapter or look at the chapter titles or the I'm just reading it like that's a letter from a friend. And you know, I don't know about you guys, when I used to read the Bible, it would take me forever to get to the Well, that's what I was about to ask. So I was just telling her I started reading the Bible and I I would say like uh, when I first came here, I was like, oh, I must read the Bible. Not not, not in a sense this church made me feel that way, but I grew up uh, Catholic and stuff. So I was, you know, you got to read the Bible. You got to look at the Bible. So I'd read the Bible and I was like, I'm just going through the motion. I'm not doing this anymore. And lately, just out of the blue, I just was like, oh, I have a Bible. That's right. So I started reading it. And man, I'd like read it. And I turned around and I was like, hey, what is, like, what does this mean when this says it? She goes, Hey, that's a great question, man. You can't be asking me how these questions like these are great questions. I'm like, all right. So I like try to remember when I come in here and I'm like, ah, but yeah, that's that's how I'm I am now where I'm like, man, what is the oh, like I want to know more the about things like things that jump out at you when you're not trying to see them. Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly what happens now when I'm yeah. reading it. It's crazy. And I think that's actually you know what in a, in a very recent uh time that prepared me for what happened this morning. But uh, I saw something, uh, and uh, you've heard this before, but I, I saw it. I said, man, that's, that's so cool. Uh, you know, and John says that uh, no one has seen God, but Jesus has, has explained him. Think about that. Jesus has explained God. I'm preaching about that today. Mm-hmm. I got your text. You told me to say that on tape, so it looked like. Something you want to ask yourself, and what Thomas is saying is powerful, because our intellectual minds have taught us to read the scriptures according to jot and tittle, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're reading it from a technical analysis perspective, where we're trying to analyze the equation in front of us so we can come out with the right answer. and Or to confirm a doctrinal view. Or to yeah. confirm a doctrinal view, but something you you can start asking yourself with God, right? In a conversation with God, everything I say is just about having intimacy with God. If people don't realize that, that's it. Everything I say is to draw people into that. That's it. I actually believe that's all you need. Well, you have an intimacy with God and you can talk with God. You can talk with the Father, you can talk with the Son, you can talk with the Spirit, you talk to the same person. And you could say, man, Jesus, you... You came into the earth and you were born of a woman. What what were you, how did you read the scriptures? What is it that you were looking at? What, what were these scriptures speaking to you? Because I see whatever you read there caused you to have this powerful intimacy with the Father that just sustained your life. That was just everything to you. That you didn't think that you must do this to have life. But you were so caught up by what you saw in the scriptures about the Father that you yearned for him. Like that's all there was. Like your heart gravitated towards him. Right. And so what is it that you're reading in the verses? Right. Because Jesus, it don't really matter how we read the verses. I just got to, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. All of our efforts to read the verses are just worthless and they're just dumb. Right. If they weren't, we wouldn't need rabbi. 
which is Jesus. And a rabbi is someone who comes and interprets the law and the prophets. And I don't mean we shouldn't read or we can't read, but we read through the spirit, the same spirit that was manifested in Jesus. And so we can start talking with Jesus. How did you read the verses? What were you looking for? And I'll just, I mean, I'll just give everybody a teaser for the, the message and I'll just give you a hint. Jesus in Psalm 40, it's a prophetic psalm speaking of Jesus. We know because in he we know just because we know about the song, but in Hebrews it quotes it regarding the Jesus. The, the letter of the Hebrews quotes it regarding Jesus. But Jesus talked about how God came and picked him up out of the miry clay. And that if he tried to sit around and talk of the wonderful works of God, that he supposes there wouldn't be enough words and there wouldn't be enough time. Right? And then he goes on to say, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, O Lord, my God. I delight to do your will. Your law is in my heart. That means what's written here is in my heart. And I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to tell everyone what is in this book. And we're look, there's so many jots and tittles in this big book. That we're busy thinking there's got to be thousands of different principles to learn and to understand and to see. And we're trying to dissect them all. Well, Jesus comes and says, your law is in my heart. That means the totality of what is written here and what it is trying to declare. It is hidden in my heart. And then he goes on to say, and I have not kept it in my heart, but I have stood in the midst of the great congregation and I have declared it to them. And then he goes on to say how he declared righteousness and not our righteousness or what we could do or proper behavior, but God's righteousness. I have declared your righteousness to the great congregation. I have declared your faithfulness and your goodness towards mankind in the great congregation. That's what he says about the volume of the book. And so I could say a bunch of things. I can get in and find a lot of types and shadows and I could interpret them and explain them and say all this stuff. But I promise you, if you listen to everything I say, it all comes back to the beauty of God as father or the perfection of the father, which is what Jesus said in the book. It's written that I will come and that I will come and I will interpret for the world what this book says. And do you know what I see the book says? It speaks about the perfection of the father. That's what I see this book speaks of. And so I'm going to come declaring the perfection of the Father towards mankind. So that what can happen is, as I paint the image of the Father in the earth, people can see him and know him the way that I know him. And in them seeing his perfection towards them and knowing that it has nothing to do with their perfection towards God, what will happen is, is they'll begin living all their days in this world in the perfection of God towards them, right? They'll walk in the statutes and judgments of God. And so we have these technical words, statutes and judgments. And it sounds so much like legalese. And it sounds so technical. Statutes and judgments. There's got to, I got to do what that says there. The statutes and judgments of God can just be summed up in this simple thing. Into your hands I commit my life. That's it. That's how you abide in the Father. Well, the Father hasn't come and told you, you need to commit your life into my hands. He, he knows that's impossible. But what he knows is that you will... Find the grace to be vulnerable. You'll, the way you'll give your life over into his arms is if you can see his perfection. So he doesn't come and say, you must give your life over into my arms. He comes and reveals his perfection. 
Because he knows if you can behold him as he truly is, and you see the thought he's taken to care for your life, and you see he's left no stone unturned, and you see that he's with you to pamper you with peace and love and joy, that his life has a peace and a love and a joy in it that surpasses this world. And as you start to behold that, what will happen is, is you'll give your life over into his hands. I describe this all the time with a husband and a wife. Right? We say, husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. And then we leave out the way that happens. Do you know how a husband can love his wife? By giving himself over into her arms. Do you know the only way he's going to do that? By, get, by seeing the father's love for him. In the same way with the woman. And so God understands this dynamic. He doesn't come and tell us, you must give your life over into my arms. He comes and shows us his perfection. So that we find something in us where we get, we see he's so trustworthy. We see the equitable deed and character in his heart towards us that we find ourselves giving our lives over into his arms. That, that reminds me of, <clears throat> of a principle of persuasion that attorneys, trial attorneys are taught. When you're making an argument, the most persuasive argument is one that leaves the listener to make the final conclusion. So you don't you don't tell someone two plus two equals four. You just give them two plus two equals. When they fill in the answer with four, they're more persuaded by that. And that's kind of the what I'm hearing here is that God doesn't tell man what he has to do. God shows man himself. And as a result of being persuaded of the perfection and the love they see in the Father, what follows that is the conclusion I can trust this person with my life. That's the conclusion. That's what Jesus saw in the volume of the book. He saw that it spoke of the beauty of the Father. And he saw that no one else could see it. That's why it says he's a light in the world. He's not just like a light in the world. Oh, he shines, right? Oh, he's so beautiful because he did everything right. I mean, I wouldn't argue with somebody if they wanted to say Jesus is beautiful. Because he did everything right. Okay, but that's not what it means to be a light. What it means to be a light is it means that he revealed the Father. That's what it means. We couldn't see the Father. That's what it means we're dwelling in darkness. We couldn't comprehend the Father. We couldn't see the beauty in his heart. We couldn't see that he was harmless as a dove. We couldn't see that he's filled with so much goodness towards us that even should we do evil against him, he will return the evil we've done him with good. We couldn't see that he's filled with so much goodness towards us that his goodness even chases us down to pamper us with peace and love and joy. We couldn't see any of that. And so Jesus comes into the earth in the volume of the book it is written of him, meaning that God started putting in this book that he was going to send someone that would reveal the Father. And that's actually the commandment. The commandment is the revelation of the Father. You can even say it this way. The Father is the commandment. The Father is the commandment. That's the commandment. And as you behold the Father, what happens is you start walking in His perfection towards you. Right? What starts happening is you have one God, the Lord your God. You won't have any other gods. You, you won't be looking to your government. That's you won't be looking to your spouse. You won't be looking to your children. You won't be looking to your job. You won't be looking to your ministry. You won't be looking to anything else to have life because you'll see the perfection of the Father to satisfy you with life. And that's what it, you walk in the Father's perfection towards you. The, the, to say that, that the, that the Father is the commandment is the same as saying 
the commandment is eternal life. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Well, Jesus says, the Father has given me commandment. And then Jesus goes on to say, and I know his commandment is life everlasting. I know his commandment is life everlasting. Well, Jesus goes on to say in the same book, the same gospel in, in John chapter 17, this is life everlasting that you know the one true God. So if his commandment is life everlasting and life everlasting is to know the one true God, then that means the commandment is the one true God. Yeah. Right? That's the logic. That's what it means. And so the thing Jesus came declaring, the commandment he came declaring, his doctrine was <clears throat> the perfection of the Father. That's what he knew. That's it. If we ever go to another country, I think we'll really enjoy feeding off of each other. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about Jesus revealing the Father, and I was talking about how I got a kick out of reading that Jesus explained God. What comes to mind is, uh, let's say, has any of y'all seen the Statue of David? Mm -hmm. Have you seen it in person? No. Okay, when you see it in person, it's quite a different experience. It's huge. But if the Statue of David, Michelangelo, was covered up by a sheet, and someone has pulled the sheet away, they have revealed David to you. In my mind, that's not the same as explaining him. Yes, David has been revealed, but if you had that person then explain to you what it took to create the statue and where the stone came from and how long it took to cut and look at this curve. You see this muscle here, this is anatomically correct. And that's what Jesus is also doing. He's not just revealing the father, he's explaining him to us in a way that we can actually know him as he knows him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it, it, the explanation. I'm not taking issue. I'm no, no, I know. No, 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 yeah. I, I agree. The, the explanation of what Jesus knew about the father is manifested in the cross and the resurrection, right? The word was made flesh. The word about what? The word about the Father. Because the word is the Father. The word was with the Father from the beginning. Yeah. The word created all things. You've seen, you've seen the Father. Right. I mean, go read the Gospel of John. He goes on and on about the Father. He begins by talking about it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it talks about how the word created all things. And it talks about the word was in the bosom of the Father. And it talks about the word was made flesh to declare the glory of the Father. It begins that way. And then it goes on through the whole Gospel with Jesus revealing the Father. Jesus saying to himself... If you believe on me, you're not believing on me. You're believing on him who sent me. If you see me, you're not seeing me. You're seeing the one who sent me. Yeah. The whole point was, was it Philip? Philip, how can how long must I be with you? How can you say to me, show you the Father? Yeah. Right? If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. That's the whole point. And so Jesus came to reveal the Father. He gets off, gets off in John 17 and says, I have finished your work. I have completed what you sent me for. And then he says, I have declared your name in the earth. I have glorified you. That means I have revealed the beauty and the goodness that's in your heart towards the godly 
No, the ungodly, the sinners, I have shined the light. Whereas the world thought that you were the accuser, that you were the one condemning them, that you were the thief that was stealing from them because of their sin. I have stood in those places where people were suffering at the hands of sin and death. I have stood in those places in manifesting your name, O Lord. I have revealed that when you find people dead in sin, that you're not the one condemning them. You're not the one uncovering their nakedness. You're not the one accusing them, but you're their advocate. You're there with them to send away the accusation. You're there with them to clothe upon them with life. You're the good Samaritan. I have declared who you are in the midst of the congregation. When my disciples thought the guy who was blind was blind because of his sin and that you had made the guy blind, I came and revealed to them that you're not the one that makes people blind. You're the one that heals the blindness. When the woman caught in the act of adultery was thrown at down at my feet. And the Pharisee said, Moses says she should be stoned. And they thought the law said that you demanded her death. I showed them that I wrote the law with my finger. And I showed them that the law speaks that the father does work to heal the brokenhearted, that the father sets the captives free, that the father delivers those who are being bruised, that the father heals the blind, right? That's the ministry of Jesus healing blindness. Yeah, man, I can lay hands on somebody who's blind. And me knowing the goodness of God to heal, to heal us from sin and death. I can pray a prayer and their eyes can be popped open. But I promise you, if I don't follow with some revelation that heals their spiritual or their heart blindness towards the Father, me popping their physical eyes open is worthless. It's done. I mean, Jesus said it's better to cut off your hand than to look to your hand for life. I mean, so you see how we weighed the pain there? Better to be, this This will mess people up because we've put in so much emphasis on carnality and our carnal lives. And I'm not despising desiring a good thing. Better for you to be physically blind and see the Father clearly in your heart than to be not physically blind and not see the Father. Right? Even the way you could just describe blindness. Can you say a person who can't see with their physical eyes, but they see the Father clearly? Can we even say they're blind? I don't think so. I don't think you can. <laughs> I think you can. Because <laughs> you can say they're physically blind. <laughs> that's, but that's the whole point. <laughs> that's the difference between judging things carnally and judging things as they actually, and I don't even want to say spiritually, as they actually are. Because spiritually, people start thinking of a vapor. There is no carnally and spiritually. There is carnally, and then there is as it actually is. As reality and perception are reality. Yes. Yes. But I mean, that's what Deuteronomy would come and say, right? You shall walk in the statutes and judgments of God. You shall have one God, the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods other than him. Now we read that and we think that it's telling them what they must do. But that's not what it's saying. Moses had just given them the words of the law or the logic of the law. And he was telling them what that is going to call forth in you. We have a record now of this God we're busy with. We weren't performing anything when he came and provided a lamb and took us by the hand and led us out of Egypt. And when he brought forth bread, manna from heaven, when he parted the Red Sea, when he brought forth water out of a rock, when none of us were sick or feeble, when he led us out of Egypt, we have a record of this God we're busy with. The words in the law is the historical record of God being their provision. And when we, 
rehearse or remember or declare or hearken diligently to the words of our God, which means the picture of our God, the revelation of the goodness of our God towards us, what will happen is, is we'll have no other gods other than him, right? We, we will have one God when we keep before our eyes the goodness in his heart towards us. That was the whole point of the book of Deuteronomy. That's why he says, wrap it on your arms, that it's front lit between your eyes, right? That was the whole point. It's not, you must do this. It was, let me put the beauty of God in front of your face And as you can be reminded all the time about his beauty in caring for your life, what will happen is, is you'll always be looking to him when you need life. You'll have a confidence born in you that he's with you to serve you with life. You'll have a confidence that life is going to come forth. And what will happen from that dynamic is it will put your flesh to rest. You will stop looking around. In the day you feel tormented or in the day you feel lack or in the day you feel attacked or accused or destroyed, you'll stop looking around thinking how you can gather life. But what will happen is, is this beautiful thing will come out of you. Ha-da! Yeah, it's like the difference between uh, the abundant life and a life of lack. <clears throat> you know, lack is, uh, <laughs> if you study economics, lack is the fundamental it's term scarcity. Scarcity is a fundamental problem. That economics is designed to address. So lack, basically, you think you don't have enough. And that's why people fight over it, because there's not enough to go around. And wars are caused over that. Okay. But the abundant life, you have more than you need. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not worried of ever being depleted. That's right. No one can actually take anything away from you because you'll never get to the point of needing something. Abracadabra. God becomes like a a magic hat. Right? I mean, he did pull fishes and loaves out of the basket, didn't he? I mean, that, that might be the first record of abracadabra. No, I mean, let there be light is the first record of abracadabra that, that we have. And that's why I kind of went off in the Bible study. The reason I talk about life and death so much is because the presence of life opens your eyes to God with you. The presence of death blinds you to God with you. And so the reason why I tear down death and looking to things in the world so much isn't so that we could have some technical understanding or so we could play some intellectual game. It's so that in the moment, every moment, because we know we possess eternal life, it is a subconscious declaration to us that God is right there. And what you just described is that God is with you either in death or in life. Right. I used to think that I wasn't acceptable to God until I was saved. That's what people are taught. You're a sinner and you become a saint, right? You were, God used to turn his back on you, but now he embraces you because you're changed. That's that's not true. Well, no. We know that's not true, but that's what people are taught. That's what I was taught. Well, no, why would he come and lay his life down for you when we were ungodly? if, I agree it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. No, I just use the image of God. I, I yeah. remember being in church, and while this was never actually said, the subcontext that built in my heart was God didn't love me. He loved what he could turn me into. Exactly. But that's why I hammer life. Life, we connect life with the presence of God, even subconsciously. And a lot of times what I do is I get, God has given me eyes to see the dynamics of things the subconscious workings of things. So I put them out on the table so people understand what's happening with them, 
right? But the, the, the speaking of life and death is because death tries to convince you God's not there. That works against you having intimacy with God when you're having a hard time. Because if you don't think he's there when you're having a hard time, you internalize and you start trying to deal with it yourself, exactly. right? And so in order to tear that down, God manifested his life in the earth. The whole point of him manifesting his life in the earth, that in us seeing his life right here, we know he's with us and that he's closer than every breath we breathe. So when we're having good times or bad times, like I said in the Bible study, what happens is, is that draws us into this intimacy with God. I promise you, if you see God there in the midst of your hell, you are running into his arms. If you don't see God there in the midst of your hell, you are not running into his arms. And like we said in the Bible study, in the midst of your hell, you having intimacy with God will produce abundance in you. Right. And so that's why I tear down death. And that's why I speak so much against all the things or looking to the things in the world to weigh our life in the balance, because all those things are corruptible. And what happens is, if we look to those things for the evidence that we have life or that God's with us, what will happen is, is we'll always conclude he isn't there. And then we won't have intimacy with him. We won't be connecting with him. We won't be sharing life with him. We won't actually be walking with him, even though he's walking with us. Right? And so we'll be walking and he'll be there, but we won't be enjoying the fact that he is there. And we won't be enjoying the fellowship that comes from wanting to talk to somebody about what we feel. I mean, how many of us want to be alone in a cave? How many of us want to keep it to ourselves when we're not liking how things are going? Every single one of us want to talk to somebody. That's where the expression misery loves company. Misery loves company. <laughs> Joy loves company. It's true. The first time we think we're having a good time or something beautiful happened, yes. we want to go celebrate with somebody. Yes. We want to have somebody with us. Listen, man, and the revelation of eternal life in the earth draws a picture of Father. There he is with you to where now you see him clearly there. Nothing in the world can ever convince you he's not there anymore. Every time death wells up, you see the presence of life. I possess eternal life. That means I possess the Father. Daddy, what's going going on why do i what and then you're just out with it with him and if it's it might be ugly as hell but when you're out with it with him abundance is coming we know because we see that happened in jesus go read the first part of psalm 22 and i said this somewhere i don't know where i said it but maybe it was in here but when jesus cried out abba <clears throat> that just seems like a small little statement you said it wednesday night okay that seems like just a small little statement yeah but you go read psalm 22 and it opens it up yeah, I was thinking about that at 3.34 in the morning when you said it at the Zoom, in the Zoom meeting. And I was thinking, um, if you're in a, if I was in a room with my family and one of my siblings said, uh, Mom, and then walked into the other room and had a conversation that I wasn't privy to, it'd be analogous to Psalm 22. All you heard was Abba from the cross. But Psalm 22 tells you the conversation yeah. that occurred in that other room. Yeah. And abundance was born out of intimacy. What did Jesus need? He just needed intimacy. What was his salvation? God is with me. The Father is with me. Why did he believe the Father was with him? He saw the perfection of the Father in the scriptures. And so he wasn't internalizing the hell that was happening to him. He was talking to the Father about all of the hell that was happening to him. He was talking about what he was hearing. He was talking with the Father about what he was feeling. He wasn't trying to be a good Christian in the sense that we talk about being a good right. Christian. He wasn't trying to have faith and believe everything was going to be okay. Faith looks like telling God that it don't look okay. Faith looks like you just talking with God. 
about whatever it is is going on in your life. And so we see Jesus doing that with God. And do you know what we see comes out of that? Abundance. Hmm. Intimacy equals abundance. Everything I say is only with the intent to catch you up in an intimacy with the Father where you're so persuaded of his perfection that you know he's there in everything and you talk to him like a crazy person out loud like your best friend. That's it. And abundance comes out of that. It's real simple. That's why the commandment is the Father. That's why the commandment is the Father. Because abundance is born out of intimacy with the Father. And so if the Father wants you to have intimacy with him, which is the foundation from where we will even be able to bear the fruit of his life, the way he's going to cause you to have intimacy with him is he's going to reveal himself to you. That's going to cause you to give yourself over into his arms. And from that intimacy, what's going to happen is you will bear much fruit. That's the abiding in Jesus' commandment. What is his commandment? His commandment is the Father. The Father has given me commandment. I don't come to speak of myself, but I come to speak of the Father. He has given me commandment, and the commandment he's given me is to reveal his glory to the world. That's why when the disciples asked the guy, who sinned that this child was born blind? Him or his parents? Jesus, basically in the Greek, what he says is, that ain't got nothing to do with what's about to go down, but that you might know the glory of God. Boom. Heals the dude. Your mind's filled with this dude's sin. My mind's filled with the perfection of the Father. Boom. You see? And that's what he came to declare, the perfection of the Father. For a very simple relational deal. It isn't static. It isn't mechanical. It isn't an intellectual thing. Although we can understand many intellectual things because we have an understanding. But it is about being caught up in this intimacy with God where you're not internalizing your heart, but you're out with your heart with him because he's out with his heart with you. The cross and the resurrection. God doesn't say plop your heart out on the table. He comes and plops his out on the table. And then you see it and you're like, man. And then you melt. All the walls that were built up around your heart, when you see that they melt, and then your heart comes out on the table. And now you're sharing life. And I don't mean you're sharing eternal life, although you are. What I mean is you're sharing life in the sense of you're fellowshipping with one another's hearts in the midst of everything. Out of that is born the abundant life. Right? You know what's interesting is uh, when uh, Jesus healed the blind guy, he, you know, the Jewish people interviewed him and, you know, he said, listen, nobody's seen anything like this, you know, that a, a man born blind can see, you know. And uh, then Jesus came to him and said, listen, I came that those who are blind might see and those who see might become blind. Mm. Now, that's a little bizarre to think that he came to give sight to the blind, but that the blind, I mean, those who think they can see would become blind. Yeah, right. But yeah, even in that, even in that, when you think about it, so, so those who were blind might see, and those who thought they could see would become blind. Even in that, he was blinding them that they might see their blindness and see. That's right. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Not just that the blind might see, but that in blinding those who think they can see, they might they see, would see. seek to see themselves. Paul. That's right. Saul. Yes. Is a perfect example yes. of that. The, 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 the thinking they see is the Pharisees. They thought they saw God in the law of Moses. And so 
they were ready to stone that woman in the name of the Lord. We're going to stone this woman in the name of the Lord. They thought they saw. Well, there's Jesus and he's the Lord. And the woman was blind to God with her. That's why she was committing adultery. That's why she was fornicating with her own flesh, her own strength. Well, Jesus, what he did was he healed her blindness by standing there as God with her. And he healed her blindness by revealing the Father to her, the goodness in the Father's heart. And what he did was he made the Pharisees blind because he showed them that their revelation of God was corrupt, that they didn't comprehend God at all, that they were blind. And just like Marie said, Saul, right? Saul thought he saw God. Saul stoned Stephen in the name of the Lord. Based on what he saw about God, he thought he saw God, he thought he knew God, and based on what he knew about God, he come and took the life of Stephen. Right? Well, on the road to Damascus, what happens? There's Jesus standing there, and Saul thinks he sees God, but then Jesus is standing there. What happens? Saul becomes blind. But his blindness doesn't stay, does it? Because the scales fall off his eyes when a guy named John, I think it's Johannan, John, not John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, a guy named Ananias. Ananias. Yeah. Laid hands on him and prayed, and the scales fell off. The scales fell off was his sight being restored. It's not just his physical sight. It's that he saw the grace of God, the Father, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. And so the Pharisees thought they saw. Jesus showed them, you're actually blind. You don't see God at all, Right? And the, the disciples who were blind, right, who didn't see God at all, all of a sudden they could see God clearly in Jesus, right? That's the dynamic that Maurice is talking about. That's the abundant life. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, what is life found out of that you would know the one true God? Yes that you would see the perfection of the Father. So out of seeing the perfection of the Father comes an abundance of life. Where the, like you said, it's the intimacy with God because it doesn't matter about circumstances. Yeah. You know, whereas what I used to think and, and, and look at abundant life was all of the circumstances. And, I, you know, uh, for you, for those who don't know, I'm, I'm standing in a sober living house and I see this all the time. I've got a bench over this, but I see it. So clearly now, you know, um, but just to kind of preface it a little bit, I guess, you know, God's always working things out for our good. And so people caught in the, the whatever you want to say, church needs or, or, or carnal interpretation of the word, um, you know, things will be going bad. <laughs> They'll think that, you know, it's because of some certain sin in their life. So rather than, you know, no intimacy is there with the father. They're confessing, 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 trying to do all kinds of things that they feel like they should do. And then, you know, something good happens in their life. They think it's because they're doing these things. And so, you know, just one example, I, I haven't said anything because it's not my, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't feel like it's my place, but they got a couple that met there and they, they living together. They're not married. They living together. And she's always saying, that, you know, God's busted with this job and has done this and done that because she's faithful. She's faithful. And I guess in her mind, she's saying because she's faithful about not using and, and using drugs. But I'm thinking, like, in your own understanding of the word, you're the opposite of faithful. You know what I'm saying? But they not even connecting that 
it's just, it's just like always in my face. You know what I mean? So there's certain people that got to put me around that I can really pour out my heart and show the father. And then there's other situations where I just got to shut up. And it's, I think it's for me to just see. You're you're you know? you're seeing that as evidence of the spirit in you, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And so it's 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 pretty awesome, man. I mean, just a little testimony of just everything you've been saying. I've been having a peace and contentment that I don't think I've ever had before. Just some examples, like work. I don't know if some, y'all might see my posts and stuff, but you know, I always kind of go in a cycle of from addiction to get clean and feel like I need to pick, you know just catch up with everybody and do everything I ain't been doing. And then working all the time, trying to help customers, getting overwhelmed, being by myself, and then back in that bitch. And that's kind of what it is. And so this time, um, you know, I wasn't gonna work by, for myself. I was gonna go get on with a crew and just work for a year and just enjoy the presence of God, wherever I'm at, make whatever money I make. And immediately I started getting jobs, wasn't even looking for. So I was, you know, was helping out with different things and then and then it's just went into this big job and I've got to wind up. So I mean, a long time ago when I started this one, I realized, okay, I'm going to just do it and do it differently this time. You know what I mean? As far as just pay attention to, to what God's telling me and not get caught up in, you know what I'm saying, what I feel like I need to do or what I feel, whatever. And so doing this job and then, you know, I just got to where I was just dead tired just dead tired and I just dawned on me like, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I haven't seen my kids in, you know, three weeks. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm making a lot of money. I'm miserable right now. And so I thought, uh, you know, I backed off and it was cool. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like I was selling them out. I, I just said, look, it don't matter. At this point, they're in. I did everything I could to get the people in. I said, but whatever's left, it doesn't matter if, you know, money-wise, it don't matter if it's, you know, three days, three 24-hour days or a week and a half of eight-hour days. You know, it's just time. It's not going to be more money. And so I did that and I felt good about it. Well, anyway, so I was real excited this last Friday because it's I'm off Saturday. Like, Fridays don't mean nothing when you work Saturday. You know what I mean? And so it was just really awesome. Kind of just went with the day. It was a great beginning of the day. I, I ended up having a thought about taking a dude out to lunch that we've been working for, ate a great meal, came back. I'm like, we got three hours left. Let's just take off the rest of the day. You know what I mean? Let's clean up our stuff, take off. It was good. And then, so now I'm focused on, like, I'm excited about being on Saturday and Sunday. Well, then I realized, like, a house needs, the wax rings need to be changed on the toilets because we got a a, a gas sewer smell coming out. Something's got to be wrong. So I ended up spending half of my day Saturday messing with, toilets and it didn't bother me one bit you know what i mean it was just like it was just not to say i was happy to be messing with toilets but looking back on it when you said that something you just said i realized like it wasn't like you know what i mean or nothing like that it was just a beautiful just in the moment doing what fellowship of a guy just awesome intimacy yeah what's the burden yes there's no burden that's right there's none. And which, so, which is what Jesus said he yes. came to see. And that's abundant life. Yeah. Regardless of circumstances. Yeah. That's why I hammer that. That's fire. That's why I say to people, like, why do you, you know, it's like, people don't understand. It's the death. 
It's the corruptible things of this world that torment you. It's you identifying with those things that cause you to feel lack. It's you identifying with those things that cause you to feel separated from God. So I come to tear that down. Mm. I come to pluck that out of your heart, right? Not because you shouldn't enjoy things or that we can't enjoy things or that we won't ever have things, but so that we actually find ourselves enjoying life. That's mm. why I do that, right? Right. That's why I do that. So you have intimacy with God. Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much.